Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. Good afternoon to you. Oh, are you ready for more? <laughs> We've had a lot, haven't we? And uh, well, ready or not, here comes more, I guess. But uh, uh, this morning, I encouraged you, those of you who enjoy writing, you need to consider writing some hymns for your own church and for your own edification, what the Lord is teaching you. And uh, I got to thinking after that, uh, you may sit here and say, well, that sounds like a neat idea, but I don't know exactly what to write. I don't know how to go about that. Well, there are many ways to do that, but the song we've been singing, The Spirit Sword, I'll tell you how that came about. Um, about 10 years ago, I was in a conference uh, bunch of preachers and so forth at a conference and and there was a man with well, a preacher preaching he preached he, uh, he preached Hebrews 4 12 and 13 the word of God is quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit the joints and marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight but all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do I think I got that right but that's close uh, but that's what that 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 was his text and uh, in the midst of that message he he gave seven characteristics of the word of God of the sword of the spirit and uh, it was a message that particularly spoke to my heart and again that was like in 2008 and it wasn't until 2017 that I started working on the spirit sword song but uh, what I did is I took all seven of those characteristics that's found in, in that, uh, uh, those two verses and that I heard in that message and I put those seven characteristics into that song. So that's how that song came about, listening to a message. God spoke to my heart. What is it that I learned? And I distilled it down and worked on it and it's a lot of work. If you've ever tried to write, you know it's hard work to write. But uh, that's where it came from. So even as you listen to your pastor preach, something may come to your mind and say, you know what, that, that speaks to my heart. I'd like to maybe write about that. And um, uh, anyway, that was just a, a thought that I had. Okay, well, enough of that. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. Some of you are already there. Some of you <laughs> uh, are saying, oh, yeah, back to Ephesians. <laughs> Okay, here is our text for this afternoon, and my goal is, again, to get right to it, and because uh, you've heard a lot. Bless your heart. Okay. Verse 29 and verse 30. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, 
but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed to the day of redemption. New life in Christ produces new living for Christ. If I could put it this way, new birth must produce new behavior or it's not the real thing. The new birth will produce new behavior. And here in Ephesians chapter 4, the end of Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul is not, not, not concerned with just proper behavior and right conduct. No, he is interested in preaching Christ and giving Christianity. He wants to show how Christians conduct themselves in a non-Christian world. And uh, his whole point has been that your doctrine, the doctrine of the Christian faith, will produce Christian behavior. Right thinking in the gospel, as someone said, produces right living in the gospel. So we've already considered what does the gospel do with lying? What, what, what's our pattern? You put off uh, the corruption of falsehood. You put on the righteousness of truth-telling because we are members one of another. That's the Christian reason. Uh, what does the gospel do with anger? You put off sinful anger, put on righteous anger, so you deny the devil an opening to your heart. You don't want him to gain control, okay? That's what makes it Christianity, not just moralism. Then uh, we did th uh, theft, right? What does the gospel do with theft? You put off stealing, you put on honest labor. Why? So you can be a blessing to others, provide a blessing to those who are in need. Um, just as Jesus did not selfishly hold on to what was his, but gave away even his very life for us. Well, now we come to verse 29 and we ask this question. What does the gospel do with your speech? In fact, I'm surprised you came here this afternoon <laughs> because of all the ones that I look at in my life that we have here in Ephesians 4, full confession, I have a hard time with this one, meaning I fall in this area a lot. I need this, you need this, let's talk about this. Guess what? There's a pattern. Have you seen this pattern? It goes something like this, negative, positive, Christian reason why. Put off, put on, be renewed in your mind, or here's the Christian reason why we do it. This is what makes it Christianity. What is it? Verse 29, put off corrupt speech. Positive, put on uh, edifying speech. Christian reason, renewed in your mind, so you may minister grace to those who need it, to those who are weary is really the point, okay? Talk, talk about this, and that's all we're going to cover this afternoon, plus verse 30, okay? So here we go. Number one, we put off corrupt speech. He says in verse 29, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Do not allow corruption to spew forth from your mouth. Now, corrupt thoughts are probably going to enter your mind, but let them die on your lips, don't let them come out. Uh, though no man can tame his tongue, in Christ, the Christian, the new man, 
can restrain his tongue. Uh, the scripture says in Psalm 141.3, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. So with the Lord, you can keep the door shut on corrupt communication. Let's talk about those two words, corrupt communication. Let's begin with communication. Now, when it talks about communication in our day today, there are multiple platforms of communication. I wrote down a, a long list. You can communicate with your words. You can communicate with your expressions. You can communicate with emojis. Uh, you can communicate with music. Communicate with art. You can communicate with um, Posting online, texting, social media, conversations, writing, chants, cheers. The communication that comes out of your mouth or out of really your heart because Jesus said this, your mouth always speaks what's in your heart. So whatever comes out of your mouth, whatever comes out of your expressions first came from your heart. So that's why the apostle here says you're going to be communicating, but make sure as the new man in Christ, it is not corrupt communication. That which is foul, that which is rotten, that which has the stench of death. That's actually what the word means. Now, last year, you remember last year, don't you? 2018 uh, was the 100th anniversary of the end of, of the Great War, World War I. Have you done any study on World War I? I am currently listening to a very long, very long, multiple-part podcast on World War I, and I've learned a lot. Now, if you know anything about World War I, largely in Europe, it went over other areas as well, but largely in Europe, you had the two sides eventually come to a stalemate with trench warfare. You know what that means? They dug ditches. They went down because all the shells were coming at them like that. So they dug. And because of that, from 1914 to 1918, largely there was hardly any movement on what was known as the Western Front. Okay? Now I understand that the Western Front uh, was just an awful, awful uh, place. Neither side could advance. It was said that during World War I, you could smell the Western Front miles before you got there. Because unlike any other war before or since, because of the stalemate, no, neither side was advancing, the soldiers who died often were left unburied in the no man's land in between, not just for days, not just for weeks, not even just for months, but in some cases, a few years. And there's no movement. So the battles are continually being fought over those who have died months earlier, still left unburied, the stench of rotting corpses. With all the mud and all the rain, there were uh, rats that got fat, and you can understand why, but they lived. There are no bathroom facilities on the Western Front, so you live amongst all of that. You live amongst the, 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 the rotting corpses, as I said. Where you get those who they did get are those who died in the trenches. Where do you bury them? In the trenches, with the living. So they would be buried in the sides, 
underneath, just dig deeper. Uh, I heard uh, just last night on my podcast that uh, there were so many dead that would be buried underneath the trenches that the trenches got a bit spongy from all the people. My point is you live, and then there's no showers as well, so you have unwashed uh, soldiers, you have the corpses, you have the, the death, the, um, the fear, the gas of um, uh, poisonous gas that was used. It was an awful place. New recruits, when they were on their way to the Western Front, many would get violently ill before they ever saw from the stench that assaulted them. It was a place of death. That's the word corrupt. It was a corrupt place. And the apostle says, do not let corrupt communication come out of your mouth. That's the picture he is getting at. Now, what is corrupt communication, this speech that characterizes the old man? Well, we can go in so many different directions. Let me apply it in two specific ways because I believe these two ways will help cover most of us. Words that destroy and words that defile, okay? There's much more, but I wanna focus on these two. Words that destroy, that's one part of corrupt communication. The scripture says in Proverbs 30, 14, there's a generation, watch this, whose teeth are like swords, their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth. You know what that means? The old you is a monster who instead of teeth has swords and knives. Then Psalm 52 verse two. The tongue devises mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You know how to flatter with your tongue but it's all full of deceit and cutting. Instead of a tongue, the old man has a razor in his mouth so sharp it cuts the person to whom you are speaking to or speaking about before you or they almost even realize it. Are you getting the picture here? You know how to cut down someone to size. You know how to immediately say that which would, uh, which would inflict pain or wound a friend or a brother or a parent or a grandparent or an authority. Uh, Uh, the idea is you know how to spin facts and craft a story to put someone in their place. You know how to win sympathy votes by telling your side of the story and becoming the victim always in your retelling of the story. You know how to deflect blame, question their integrity, assign sinister motives uh, to that person, assassinate their character, uh, allege wrong behavior, make up a lie about someone to make yourself feel better or to make them look poorly, dismiss them or name calling of them. Uh, You know how to go after a certain ethnicity with your tongue, to go after a certain political persuasion with your tongue, to go after a certain gender or a certain generation uh, or a certain opinion in the church you disagree with. You know how to use your mockery, your petty observations, like you know all, uh, with your uh, understanding, your lies, your superiority, your snide remarks, your expert opinion, your slander, and you can walk around and say, I'm a big man because I know what it's like, or, or uh, people listen to me, they, I'm a realist. No, you're not a realist, you're a monster with razor blades in your mouth. 
You say you're the new man in Christ, but all we're hearing is the old man in you. Put it off. Put off words that destroy and wound. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. That means if you enjoy destroying people with your tongue, guess what's going to come to you? But in a minute, life is also in the power of the tongue. We'll talk about that. That's words that destroy. How about this? Here's another part of corrupting speech. Words that defile. You're there in Ephesians 4, if you didn't know. Uh, Ephesians 5, you may want to look at the next chapter, verses 3 and 4. It says, but fornication, that sexual immorality and all uncleanness or covetousness, don't let it be once named among you. You're saints. You're, you're the called ones of God. Look at verse four. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting. These things are not appropriate. The, uh, the idea here of jesting is dirty jesting. It's all in the same uh, the same category is what we've been looking at the old man is recognized by his words that dirty the mind of other people uh, I had a, a a professor in college he used it he put it this way and I've never forgotten it he said this is barroom talk bathroom talk and bedroom talk we live in a world where there is no shame let us be coarse let us be vulgar let us be shocking. Hey, show you're a man. Use profanity. Go ahead and talk lewdly about your body. Sexting, vulgarity, all the girls are doing it. And that's what the guys want, so why not? The old man is corrupt. The old man is corrupting. Put everything about him away from you. Rise up, remove all corrupt talking, all corrupt texting. You are the new man, so be who you are. That's the apostle's point. Matthew, Jesus said, Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, but an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. In other words, what's in your heart comes out in your speech. Now, we live in a technological age. May I say this? What is in your heart right now is on your phone. Very clear. Pull up, when, you know, next time you look at your phone, pull up your messenger app and just look at what you've been talking about. If your messenger app is full of drama is it full of inflammatory words? Is it full of accusations? Is it full of name-calling and attacks? Is it full of sex? Why? Are you unsaved? That's the old man. Be done with it all over again. Be who you are. Stop lying about who you are. All right. Put off corrupt speech. Well, what's the positive? The exact opposite. Put on edifying speech. You say, Andy, edify. That's a Sunday word. It's Wednesday. What in the world does that mean? What does edify mean? Edify is the opposite of corrupt. If corrupt is to tear down and to slash and to shred, edify is to build up, to give life. Remember, death and life 
are in the power of the tongue and those who love the life-giving part of the tongue will also have it given back to them. They will eat the fruit of it. To edify is to give encouragement. It's to build. It's to strengthen. Your words should cause someone's soul and heart to flourish, not shrivel. Okay. Now, is good edifying speech a part of God's nature? Yes. I know you're saying yes in your heart. Yes, it is. John 1.14, Jesus is the word of God, and the word of God is full of grace and full of truth. Luke 4.22, he was in Nazareth. They were shocked at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. John 8, 40, many people could not deal with the truth Jesus spoke. John 17, 17, God's word is truth. That's why the people said, no man has ever spoken like this man. It's in John chapter 7. So once again, if you look at verse 24 of Ephesians 4, the new you is created after God. You are a partaker of the divine nature. And if God is an edifier in his speech, now you, new person, new young woman, new young man in Christ, you have the capacity, the ability to build up in your speech. Edify uh, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always spoken with grace. Ah, but the other side as well, Ephesians 4, earlier in this chapter, verse 15, let your truth be always spoken with love. This is the new man, building, strengthening, encouraging, truthful, gracious. Is this you? Now, if you're anything like me, yeah, of course it is. I mean, I'm not perfect, but yeah. I build up people. I encourage people. All right, let me ask your mom. Would she say it? Let me ask your little bitty sister at home. Would she say, yeah, you're encouraging. You lift up. Let me ask your teacher. Let me ask the unpopular ones in the youth group. Would they say this? But more importantly, as God knows your heart, would he say this? Ah, oh, maybe you need to repent of some corrupting, lack of edifying speech. All right. If you're the new man in Christ, be who you are. But again, I know a lot of unsaved people who work hard at being kind in their words and not slandering and hurtful in their speech. There's some very gracious people what may, who don't know Christ. What makes this Christian? Well, Number three, here's the Christian reason why. That it, your edifying words, may minister grace, favor to the hearers. We don't speak good things so other people will like us. We don't speak good things so other people will think we're a gentleman or a nice young lady. We don't say nice things to one another so uh, people will think that we're respectful and civil. It's wonderful to be civil. But Christianity is not mere civility. 
No, Christianity ministers grace or favor to that person. You see, the Christian understands every person I talk to, every person I text, every person who will read my social media post has an eternal soul. And my words, my images, my texts will either push that person towards Jesus or push them away from Jesus. You have a non-Christian friend. Your words, your texts, your posts will either show them the beauty of a Christ life, a Christ-changed, Christ-enabled life, or your words, texts, and posts will point them to the hypocrisy of your life and what you claim to be. But you want to minister grace to them. So you put off the corrupt and you put on the edifying. Uh, Your Christian friend, your speech, your text, your posts will either push them towards a greater appreciation and pursuit of your Lord and, and their Lord or your texts and words and posts will push them further into a heart of rebellion and hypocrisy away from God. But you want to minister grace to your Christian friend, so you put off the corrupt texts and posts and speech behind their back and in front of their face, and you put on the edifying speech. This is what the Christian does. Why? Because the Christian wants to be more and more like Jesus and less and less like their old self. Uh, I read in my time with God today, Isaiah 50. You want to write this first down because this is good. Isaiah 50 and verse 4. This is speaking of the Messiah who is going to come, the servant of God, the Christ, speaking of Jesus. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. You see, when Jesus came, he, he spoke full of grace. What did he say? Come to me, all you who labor, all you who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, learn of me. I am meek and lowly in spirit. You shall find rest to your souls. You know, there are people all over this room who are weary. There are people all over where you live who are weary. Weary in discouragement. Weary in pain. Weary in suffering. Weary in sin and the, deci- the decisions of their own life. They're broken down. They're beaten. I don't know your story, but I do know it's full of pain because everybody has pain in their life. And everyone is weary. And there, and there may be even someone here, but certainly someone else you may know where you live you may have contact with who's even weary to the point of wondering if their life is even worth continuing. People are hurting. Your conversation, your text, your post is not primarily an opportunity for you to display your wit or your humor um, or your frustration or your sarcasm. Oh, those are all fun but it's not primarily an opportunity to do that. No, the Christian, the new man says, here's an opportunity of encouraging who I may not even realize is hurting. 
Can I give you an example how that worked in my life? I've mentioned a couple of times, my wife has been this last year going through breast cancer. Because of that, I would sometimes be away from my family as I'd be ministering in another church. This is the calling of God in my life, also my job. <laughs> so uh, I'd often be away. And some Saturday nights, before I'd be in a church the next day, some Saturday nights, I was pretty low. Feeling very apart, very lonely, to the point where I, you know, I've got to preach three times, sometimes four times the next day. I don't want to do it. I've got no desire to do that. I don't know these people. Sometimes it was a church I've not been to before. I don't know these people. I would rather be with my family. I don't want to do this. One Saturday night, it was this fall, I was in that place. I was like, I don't want to do this tomorrow. Now, I wasn't going to tell anybody, <laughs> but that's how I was. And I, I prayed that night before I went to bed. In fact, I didn't even necessarily know what I was going to preach the next morning. I didn't even want to study. I said, Lord, I've got no motivation. I need help. I don't even want to, I don't even want to work. And I went to bed. When I woke up the next morning, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was out west. So I was like three hours behind my normal time in Indiana, which is Eastern time. So I'm three hours behind. All my friends have been up for three hours, you know. There were three texts on my phone that Sunday morning from three different preachers. Now, a lot of my friends are preachers because that's what I do. So they were, and they, let me tell you what each one said. One of them was straight, short, and to the point. It said, <laughs> it said, Andy, preach the word. That's all it said. Okay. Another one said, Andy, praying for you today. And the third one was very long. The third one was from another uh, preacher who I had been in his church, oh, about a month earlier. And he said, I just, I want you to know that my heart is very burdened for you, for Bryn, and for your kids. And he mentioned each one of their names. And he said, I want you to know that I've been praying for you, for Bryn, my three kids, by name, that God would give you strength as you minister today and this week. He is good. And then he gave a verse from 1 Peter about enduring through the difficult times. None of those men knew what I was going through at that moment and that night before. But you know what each one of them did? They ministered grace to someone who was weary. They showed the new man are your texts anything like that? They should be. So, why, what, what should we do? Put off corrupt speech, put on edifying speech. What's the Christian reason why? To minister grace. Now, you've noticed this pattern, right? Got a problem. Verse 30. Verse 30 breaks the pattern. What are you doing, Paul? Why did you do this? You make me so mad. That was all so good, so nicely put together. Look at verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. I struggled and struggled with this. How does this work? What is he doing? Then someone pointed out to me, it was a key that just unlocked it for me. Verse 30 is a second 
Christian reason why we put off corrupt speech and put on edifying speech. But it's not just the second reason for speech. It's also the second Christian reason why you put off theft and you put on uh, honest labor. And it's the second Christian reason why you put off sinful anger and put on righteous anger. And it's the second Christian reason why you put off lying and falsehoods and put on truth-telling. In fact, it's not just the second Christian reason why for all of these. It's the ultimate Christian reason why you put off all these. What the apostle's doing is he goes, boom, 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 boom. Here are all the reasons why, and here is the big reason why you put off the corruption of the old and you put on the righteousness of the new. You don't want to break God's heart. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, this is good stuff. We are not to grieve God. You see, our desire is God's glory. We are not preaching a rigid code of conduct. Here's all your boxes, young people. When you go home, you make sure you, do, you don't do this and you do this and you'll be a good little boy and girl. No. We are not interested in a rigid code of conduct. We are interested in our relationship with God, not some set of standards. Those standards are wonderful. We want to please our God. That's the point. This is the ultimate distinction between the morality of the world and the morality of Christianity. When has noble society ever said to you, be good lest you break God's heart? They will never say that. They can never say that because their morality is not our morality. I read a story by a, a preacher in the 20th century. His name was H.A. Um, uh, Ironside. And he told this story about uh, uh, like a big dinner party. There was about 15 different couples, kind of a big dinner party that was happening in this, um, in this house and the hostess was uh, doing some things in the kitchen and the, the other wives of the other, you know, the other men said, hey, let's go and see what we can do, see if we can help. And uh, so they all went and all the ladies left and there was about 15 men left in this room. And one of the men said, hey, now that all the ladies are, are out, I want to tell you a story that I heard. And another man said, ho, ho, wait a second. The ladies may not be here, but the Holy Spirit is here. Is this story fitting for him? And the man said, oh, no, thank you. I'm not gonna tell it. You see, that's Christianity. Our relationship with God, ours is a Christian morality, a Christian conduct. Our behavior is tied with our relationship with God. When you sin, when I choose to put on the dirty clothes of the corruption of the old man that he has left behind, you and I display an appalling ignorance of who we're actually sinning against. We are sinning against the one who has saved us, and created the new man in us. The Holy Spirit of God has come to live in us. In fact, it says in verse 30, he has sealed us to the day of redemption. The day of redemption is the day of final redemption, when our salvation is finally and fully and completely and totally realized, when we are completely like Christ. That's the day of redemption. But until that day, the Holy Spirit has sealed us. Say again. 
That's a Sunday concept, Andy. I'm not sure what we're talking about. All right, to seal has the idea of a down payment. It has the, the, the idea of an earnest payment or a promise of something better to come. Okay, uh, August of 2000. Where were you in August of 2000? Some of you weren't around here. All right. Uh, in August of 2000, I was in Indianapolis, and I took my, uh, my girlfriend around the city. I wanted to show her uh, the, uh, I, I had been there that summer, had been working in a church, uh, which eventually I would become the youth pastor at. And I just wanted to show her all the things, but that wasn't really what I wanted to do. I wanted to ask her to marry me. And it was my excuse so we went out and we started walking, you know, and I don't remember anything we did because I had this ring in my pocket that was burning a hole in there and thinking, how am I going to say this? What am I going to do? And um, so um, uh, I sh should have had no problem, but anyway, I was. And so uh, at some point, I finally looked at Bryn and, uh, and, and I asked her, would you marry me? And very quickly, she said yes. <laughs> Whew, she said yes. Well, I, I, I even got down on my knee because I've seen that happen on TV. So I got down on my knee, you know, gave her the, the, the ring, and she went, oh, and it's a beautiful ring. It's, a, it's a, um, a, an emerald uh, setting, not emerald, not emerald, um, a cathedral setting with a princess cut diamond. Guys, that means it's a square. That's what that means. I didn't know, but I learned, okay? And uh, that's what she wanted, and uh, I got that, and she, she put it on. Now, that was in August. We got married in June of 2001. So what was that, about 10 months that we were engaged? Let me tell you, everywhere she went, she was very happy to show the ring. Uh, in fact, she's here. If you want to see the ring, you can see it sometime. But anyway, she was very happy to show the ring off. Now, what was this ring? This ring was a promise from me. It was a promise of, I love you. I'm going to continue to love you. I am choosing you to be mine. I am, uh, this is also the promise, as wonderful as this is, it's a promise of something better. We are going to become husband and wife. We are going to enter into the marriage covenant. We are going to be one uh, as, as husband and wife and that even better things are coming. And let me tell you, it has been so much better than those 10 months, I'll tell you that. It's wonderful. But that ring was a promise ring. It was a seal until the day of our marriage, okay? So here comes the Lord Jesus and he has died on a cross and he has risen again and he has offered you eternal life and you have received him as your Lord and Savior and uh, you enter into the church, the body of Christ. You've entered into the bride of Christ, the bride that is being prepared for the great wedding day. In fact, one day when Jesus Christ returns as the bridegroom, he is going to marry, as it were, his bride, the church. And it's still being prepared. There are still people who are coming into the bride, people still coming into uh, salvation. The best is yet to come. 
In fact, he has promised to love us. He has promised to lavish his love on us. He has promised to be faithful to us. He has promised to return from us, for us. He has promised to uh, marry us, if I can put it that way. He has promised to never leave us. And the best is yet to come. But until that day, he's given us a promise, a seal, a promise ring, if you will. You say, really? You know what that promise is, that ring, that seal? The Holy Spirit. He places the Holy Spirit within you and the Holy Spirit of God living in you, that which has created the new man, is God's guarantee, is Christ's guarantee that you are his and he will never neglect you and he will be faithful to you and he will return for you and you will be his for all eternity. Which is a wonderful truth that you cannot lose the salvation of God. It has been given to you. But when you sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit, making him weep as it were because your actions betray who you are. You're being unfaithful to the one who has been given you by Jesus Christ. And you are living as though you're the old man with no Holy Spirit within you. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Stop acting like you don't have him. Put off lying. Put off anger, sinful anger. Put off theft. Put off corrupt speech. Don't break God's heart. This is Christianity. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.